Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Head coach Scott Davenport out of the A Sun. They'll be playing Kansas State this year. Coming down here to see those aisles up the road from here. So, Coach Davenport, how are you and your staff doing up there in Louisville, man? Everybody's good. Everybody's good. You know, the, these young guys keep they keep you good because they're resilient. No matter what you throw at them, it's like if you run a mile race and you get an eighth of a mile from the finish line, and they go, "No, we're gonna run two miles." They're okay. They're okay. You know, they just. I think I think a true love for the game is an important part of recruiting because that's a talent. You know, when you care and when you're passionate, that's a talent. That's a skill, too. That's not just being able to run, jump, and put a ball in a basket. And um, I really, really appreciate our guys and their, their, their passion for the game. Now, Coach, let's go back to March here when everything kind of got shut down. How's that for you, for you and your team, man? I know you're probably getting ready for the tournament and, and everything that's kind of shut down and yeah. guys had to go home from being on campus, going virtual. So how was it for the your young men dealing with the adversity of the, of the pandemic then academically being at home and being virtual? How was that for you and your, your, your young men? Well, we've always had a philosophy here where – and it's built on over years – as a senior, you, you never want to take your jersey off for the last time. You know, it's Division II basketball. Uh, the likelihood of playing past college is it, not a guarantee. We've had 17 of them play beyond here, but it's surely not a guarantee. And we were in the middle of spring break. And you, you never want to take your jersey off for the last time, but you never want to take it off from playing with that group of teammates for the last time. So we're in spring break, and we had practice on that Thursday. At, we had film at 11.30, practice at 12.15, and then we were going over to have a team meal. Uh, we had a private room set up because the campus is closed, spring break. Mm-hmm. Come back, film that night. The next morning, we're going to get up, have practice at 10 o'clock, and then get on the bus and go to Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. And in between practice ending at 2.45, and reporting at five o'clock to the meal, the tournament was. Wow. We end up in a private room. Our families came, the staff's families came, we closed the door. And it was very, very emotional because those players, they never got to take their jersey off for the last time. They took it off in practice, went to have a meal. They're going to maybe get shots up that night, get ready. You know, the NCAA tournament, we're leaving the next day. And the season's canceled. It was tough. It was tough. And those four seniors, uh, Chris Palombizio, Alex Cook, Ben Wire, uh, Parker Chitty, were four tremendous, tremendous young men that I will always have 
just a, a, a unbelievable bit of pain for them because yes, they, they never got to take their jersey off for the last time. But the positive of it, we have 11 guys back from that team, and they have driven themselves every single day. And I think part of it is it's that, that emptiness they felt that afternoon in March. Most definitely, Coach. And, you know, I can only imagine for those young men the gut punch. Because it's hearing, hearing you describe it, it hurts me for them. Because, you know, you want to have that last experience to say, hey, I played it to the, my last and all of a sudden a pandemic comes and it just wipes me out and it's just over like so fast. Like, it's that snap of the finger, it's done. And it's, it, it does leave you an empty feeling inside like, oh, my goodness, like, wow. But, but, you know, again, the resiliency of these young people, it's amazing how resilient they are. They are amazing. I've always been a, an advocate of young people because uh, I don't have any grandkids. I got one. I have a granddaughter that's two years old. Oh, wow. And, you know, I kid our players all the time that they're the answer. You know, she needs them. She needs them to be great. They can't just be okay. They got to be great because there's a lot of questions in society right now, a lot of levels. And these young people are the answer. Not It's not me. These young people are the answer. So, you know, I've got great faith in them. And more than that, I, I got great admiration for what these young people do. They're, they're amazing. Now, Coach, how did you all handle them being at home, being back in, in their environments virtually? How was that this offseason, the spring and summer here? How was I that? Should have, I should have taken all my investment capital that I own in the world invested in Zoom. <laughs> yes, you should have. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. We, you know, we try to be as supportive and as creative from an academic standpoint, an athletic standpoint, a, a morale standpoint, you know, mentally, uh, as you could. We we had Zoom calls, you name it. Uh, like, I had it set up, but Alan Houston, who's a vice president of New York Knicks, who's an NBA great, played for me in high school. And Alan just turned 50 years old. I mean, oh, he's wow. Totally different era. And Alan crashed one of our Zoom calls one day, and 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 our players were, uh, you know, I kind of tipped them off. They knew about him, and they were going crazy and just – it wouldn't end. It kept going and kept going and kept going, and he's asking them questions, and and, it, it, and they're asking him things. It was, it was, it was great. Um, the city of Louisville's had a lot of unrest. We've had a very, very difficult stretch. And the spokesman from our Louisville Metro Police Department is an African-American, a gentleman named Dwight Mitchell. I've known Dwight for 35 years. And Dwight joined a Zoom call one night and he addressed a lot of issues point blank. He, he's the spokesman for the Louisville Metro Police Department. Oh, wow. I mean, something tragic happens and he has to show up and give an explanation. And we've had we we had um, Dwight. Um, I, I've had former players join. I, we've done we've watched motivational videos together. Uh, we've had people in the business sector join us. Uh, people from the military who served our country. You name it. Uh, just trying to keep everybody engaged, but most important to be there for our guys. Uh, if it's once, twice, three times a week, just to be there for them. Again, mentally as well as physically. You know, the physical part, get them to where they can can work on their body and their game, et cetera. Yeah, that's one thing. But but 
being a resource for them where they, they, they can feel very comfortable. Like, Coach, what do you think about our man, Coach, what's going to happen with this? And trying to keep them in tune to the news, to what's going on. You know, we encouraged them, stay engaged. Um, it's funny, everybody made this big issue about being registered to vote, and we had it done when we came back. Wow. We were way ahead of it. Yes, you we were. were. Way ahead of well, I mean, we were like, hey, we had two players, and we said, okay, you got to get engaged, and this is, you know, you're going to do this, it's going to last a lifetime. So just different things. Believe me, when I had all that idle time on my mind, man, that, my mind was working, racing 100 miles an hour. Coach, do you take any time for yourself over the pandemic break? I know some coaches have told me they they picked up new hobbies all over the pandemic. What about you? Did you take, take, take some time for yourself to kind of find something you want to do? No, I ran more miles. Ran more miles. Between, I was up between 38 and 45 miles a week, and that's carried over. Wow, and that's amazing. I mean, I, I need to get on your regiment, Coach. <laughs> watch what you wish for now. You better watch out. Watch what you wish for. Hey, hey Coach, I, I have my little stepper here, my little exercise bike in the room. I, I feel bad now. It's riding 30 minutes on my bike a day. I need to get like Coach Davenport. That's, that's where I would get lost. I would get lost, and I'd be thinking, you know, who are we going to Zoom with? How are we going to do this? Let's talk to this guy. And, and, you know, the whole time, it, it, it went through, boss, it, it was three stages. The, the very first stage, it was like the, the longest snow day ever. You know, when you have a snow day and yes. school's canceled, you're really excited. You're like, man, I don't have to go to school. And that was kind of cool, but, you know, that, that didn't last. It, it lasted too long. Then the, the second stage I'll never forget, we had a Zoom, and I told our players, I said, you know, guys, this is, this is, these are very humbling times. These, are, these times are humbling us because, think of it, we were having a Zoom, and I had 15 players and a staff, you know, Knoxville, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Evansville, Indiana, Louisville, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, all over the Midwest. And we can all look at each other just like I'm looking at you right now. And I said, you know, guys, if I tell you to go on some scavenger hunt, all you got to do is put an address in your phone and you find it just like that. And we can do everything, right? I said, but we don't. We can't figure this out. We can't figure it out. I said, this is humbling times. Because we think we can do everything. You know, we can Zoom. Yes, we don't have to meet face-to-face. Coach, we'll have a Zoom. But we couldn't figure this out. So we went from being, you know, like the longest snow day. We were excited. Then it was very, very humbling. And it was a very down time. And then I think the last stage, and in, in, in a way we're there to this day, is the smartest people in the world, in the entire world, can't figure this out. And they're trying 24-7. They're working and trying to come up with a vaccine and, and how we stop the spread and how we do this and in all the entire world. And, you know, we, we can't figure this out. And that's tough. So you just, you kind of go back and you get in your bubble, so to speak, and just win the day. Just let's win the day. 
And I know that sounds coach cliche. I get it. But really, that's where we are right now. No, and, it's and true, we just coach. Keep, it is. It's it true. is. It, it's, it, it's very, I mean, the smartest people in the world can't figure this out. And they're working 24-7. So, you know, we have to lean on each other, be there for each other, and, and understand priorities in terms of doing what's right, being disciplined, taking care of school, taking care of your body, and working on your basketball, period. And the, for me, Coach, the positive in the pandemic is I'm able to see people I talk to. And it's not just the phone anymore. I can I see guys now I talk to like you and meet for the first time. I can see you can see me because, you know, that's the thing I told my godfather and my dad about this. I said, the only thing good about this is I can see my guests now. You know, the only thing that's good about this pandemic, I can see my guests now. It's not the, it's not the phone. I, now I'll see you in person when I you come to Atlanta or I come to a game. You can see me now. Oh, okay, that's JR. He's a cool guy. He's a nice guy. See my demeanor. Yeah. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So that's something good about this is, is this right here. Well, I mean, you think about think about me personally. There was a time where, because of precaution, we and she lives four minutes away, and we were not allowed to see our granddaughter. Wow. She lives four minutes away. Wow. But you know, we would zoom with her. You know, so many, and you know, she wasn't even two years old, and she's like, "Well, pop, pop," you know, and. You know, there are, but it, I think what will happen, it will make us appreciative, more appreciative of every minute of every day. And I hope, I hope through this, we become a more respectful, considerate society. I really do. I think if we respect the things we have, if we appreciate them, and, and we're more considerate of other people, maybe in the end, maybe it'll help us all. That, that, that's, we've got to grab onto that. Yes, sir. And, Coach, let me ask you, it's for scheduling games. You know, you lost two weeks here. It's now the 25th of November, and I know you transitioned from D2 to D1 now in A-Sun. How trying to schedule games? You know, have to raise money as well for the university. So uh, how was that whole monster been for you? Well, it's now uh, 11, 12 minutes after 11, and I came up. There's a radio doing live from our locker room today. And I think when I came up, it was about uh, 10.45. I don't think our schedule's changed since then, but I haven't checked. Maybe it has. <laughs> the, you, you have to be flexible and you have to work with each other. But I will give college basketball credit. Dan Gabbett, the executive director of the NCAA of men's college basketball, has had a plan all along. And the A-Sun had a plan all along. You know, football – I think as being a football fan and a fan of college athletics, you know, way back in March, I think there was a certain mentality that, you know, we'll be okay. That's, we're talking about September. We'll be fine. Then, then it was like, whoa, we better get ourselves together. Mm -hmm. Well, the NCAA football is run conference to conference. It's not run by a governing body like the NCAA basketball is. So I think Dan Gavitt, being in charge of it and taking over and saying, okay, here we're going to move back your, your beginning of practice and now we're going to move back our start date of games and we're going to, here's, we're going to work together. I think it's been so fluid, but it gives me a lot of hope because there's going to be setbacks. We've seen setbacks in football. Mm -hmm. Well, think about this. There's 356 Division I college basketball teams. I mean, it's law of averages. 
Oh, There's yeah. going to be setbacks. The first three weeks of college football, 22.3% of the games were either canceled or postponed. And that's a limited number, only playing once a week. We're talking 356 college basketball teams playing once or twice, maybe three times a week. So we're going to have to stay flexible. And, again, that's why Dan Gabbett put a minimum number of games, 13, a maximum number of games, you know, at 27. But I think um, we're trying to stay ahead of it and be as flexible and work together as much as we can. But it, it's difficult. Bo Braden on our staff has led us in that regard, and he has been a superstar, no doubt. And travel wise, and a son for you was not that bad because Lipscomb's in Nashville, two hours away from you. Atlanta is not that far from Louisville. North Alabama is not that far from Nashville. So, like, no. Liberty, you're right. Liberty. So, mercifully, you will have the your worst travel is probably going to be to Jacksonville and North Florida. Might be your your worst travel probably. If and, I'm, and Gulf Coast and, Go, and Gulf Coast, yeah. So that's it. So you can probably get away with busing. Most games and having to fly to Florida. Hopefully. Well, right now, we think be two, trip, two trips will require flights. That's where we are right now. That's what it looks like. Uh, Non-conference, right. And, you know, we're in a, in a basketball-rich area here with a lot of, you know, a lot of colleges in the Midwest. So, yeah, we're trying to be as, as prudent as we can and, and having a great schedule, but trying to also generate revenue for the athletic department. No, it's it's a big task. But, you know, we're our schedule, like I said, it hadn't changed since I came up here. At least they haven't told me. Now, Coach, the good thing about going D1 now, you have 13 scholarships now. And in D2, you had 10 that you can kind of split however you want to split them. So how's it been, you know, having full 13 now and having and everybody has some walk-ons? He had 11 guys already to so give them all scholarships now and add two more guys and have some walk-ons. How's that been for you? You know, Boss, that's amazing, JR. You're the first one to ask me that. Uh, it's more difficult. Let me tell you why. In Division Two, having 10, you could divide them. Two years ago, we had 17 because of the high level of academics. We literally had 17 full scholarship. Last year, we had 16. Now, 13 means 13. So we, we were handcuffed. We had four seniors last year. Just do the math. That means we had one signing. I mean, we were handcuffed. And it'll take us uh, two or three recruiting cycles to get back to where we're bringing in normal-sized classes. And it's been very difficult. It's been incredibly difficult. You're the first person to ask me that. That's a great question. Yeah, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I really do – care about the smaller schools because I know a lot of the power files get all the club but the little, the little oh, guy yeah. you, need, you need some club too you know I want to be a, a champion for you guys because I came from Tennessee State University so I know how it is in a low right. major school I know how it is you know I've seen what resources are our facilities I know what a kid in a lower 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 major school has to deal with at D1 in D2 as well I've seen it right in my face but let's come down down the road before they came up I have saw it so I, I know how it is for you guys making a transition up to D1. So I really feel for you guys and I kind of want people to understand it. It's not easy as you think. Just, oh, we're going D1. A lot of things you have to kind of transition into and, and go over to get there and make it become a full member as well. Oh, it's 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 an incredible – I call it a good busy, though. It's a good busy. I mean, it, it you know, and I'll say this to you, JR, last year, looking back, I think will end up being the most difficult year I'll ever coach in my life. And, you know, and I coached as, as Coach Denny Crum retired at Louisville, and that, that was difficult. 
uh, our coach says Coach Patino came to Louisville. You know, that was difficult. But last year, June 19th, June 17th of 2019, we announced our transition. Well, we had an entire year of 19 and 20, an entire season. And as everybody in this community was so excited, people on this campus were excited. Everywhere you went, oh, your son plays basketball at Bellarmine. Wow, they're going D1. Well, Alex Cook and Ben Wire and Chris Palombizio and Parker Chitty were seniors. They weren't going D1. Mm-hmm. So we vowed to our players we would never utter one syllable about next year. And we didn't. And then our year ends pandemic hits. Wow. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it was tough. But, you know, again, you, 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 you take care of, put those players first. Proud of each, all four of them. They've all got a minimum of one degree from Bellarmine. Uh, working on two and they're all going to be successful and they will always be have a very very special place in this program no doubt but moving forward you know you had to you had at the same time you had to be prepared you had to be recruiting you had to be scheduling everything was new and a lot of it was unknown not just new it was unknown so it's it's okay the unknown's good we're ready to go now, how has it been for, uh, for us kind of get film on the guys watching the film through the through the, through the film system that you guys have? Look, kind of kicking up North Alabama, Kennesaw, and Lipscomb and Liberty. And I see what you're up against when you get in conference play here because those teams are tough. I, every night here, I see it right in my backyard. Those games are, are, are a barn burner now, every time I, out you know, there. We, we've done our homework there, but I think what you're going to find in the pandemic in, in general a lot of teams are going to play different. A lot of changes were made because there was a lot of interacting going on uh, clinics virtually and sharing of, of new ideas and maybe new styles of play. So, and then with the, with, you know, the transfers that you always have in college basketball, and then the, this coming January, it looks like there's going to be a lot more of them. Things are going to be constantly changing, but, you know, we'll hold true to playing the way we play. Now, obviously we're playing tremendous competition nobody will have more respect for the competition than we will trust me and you coach you've been so successful at Bell, 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 Bell. I, mean, I mean i saw the record you have man your record in the great lakes conference was man was like uh, man you were doing some things there <laughs> so you have a well, coach it already. like that it wasn't always like that believe me yeah but i saw the record i said man coach Davenport doing those great things and you you've coached with some great people like Coach Crum and Coach Patino, I've been watching those games. I was a, a youngster watching you guys play Kentucky and stuff like that. So how was Bell's playing, playing Kentucky means Louisville? How was that? I know that's a big rivalry up there. You the Louisville or you, you UK up there? It was um, – it's tough because um, it, there's no words to describe what it gets like going up to that game. From a coaching standpoint, you, you can't escape it. I mean, it's impossible, especially in this day and age of the social media. And I mean, you can't. Um, there's people, sports makes people crazy. And there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of, I know this, my wife quit going to those games. Oh, we wow. would go to take a break when we would play in Lexington and it just became so difficult. I mean, it was, it was tough. And then it was magnified when, you know, Coach Patino leaves Kentucky and goes to the Celtics. Then he comes back, of all places, he comes back to Louisville. Uh, you know, that was tough. I mean, that was tough. Uh, but 
those were those were games to be a part of them. Uh, you you the, the preparation that went into those games was was incredible because the stakes were so high, and it was a non-conference basketball game. At the end of the day, it was a non-conference basketball game. But no, that wasn't your approach. It was incredible. I mean, I, I've said forever, and I, I've got unbelievable respect for Duke and Carolina and NC State and, and that tobacco road, but the greatest college basketball fans are, are right here. And the numbers don't lie. It's 18 straight years, the NCAA tournament, highest market in the country has been this Louisville market. Wow. 18 straight years. The highest market on CBS has been right here. I mean, it's, 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 it's a three-week holiday here. It's like three weeks of Christmas. When you get into March here, it's like three weeks of Christmas. Oh, yeah. I feel like the NBA should come there a little. I feel like, come to Louisville. I feel like they should expand to Louisville and play at the, yeah. the, the Yum Center. And, you know, move, a lot of talk. move a lot Memphis of talk. to the Eastern Conference with Louisville and put yeah. KC and Seattle in the Western Conference. It'll be, it'll be perfect. Cause, you know, for me, from Atlanta, I can come to Louisville and Memphis and see some games and be, be back here in Atlanta in a few hours. Well, that's, that's just my yeah, personal selfishness. Actually, there's a movement here that's led. There's a, an official group called NBA 2 Louisville, NBA numeral 2 Louisville, and it's headed up by Dan Issel, the longtime NBA, ABA great. You know, Dan Issel lives here, and he, that's, his, that's his, his passion. I hope it we'll happens. See. There was just talk two weeks ago about Toronto coming here only for one year because Toronto – as of right now, this, Canada will not allow uh, teams from foreign countries in. It's like the Toronto Blue Jays had to play in Buffalo. Well, there was a movement trying to get Toronto to come use the Yum Center for one year. Who knows? Yes, indeed. Well, Coach, thank God your conference comes this close to me. So I'll see you at Kennesaw. I'll try to see you at Lipscomb as well because I know those are right in my backyard. I still have a house in Nashville still, so I go up there pretty often. I still have a house there. So hopefully I can see you when we come play Lipscomb and in Kennesaw. i tell you what. i tell you what. Now, Nashville's a heck of a college basketball town with Belmont, Lipscomb, Vandy, Tennessee State. That's a heck of a college basketball town. Middle, not very far away. That's a heck Austin of a college P. basketball well. town. Austin P. Absolutely. You got that's, there. That's right. a heck of a college basketball area now. It's really underrated. It is. I know we, we won a region in 05 when I was at Louisville. Uh, we, we played the first two rounds on our way to the Final Four in Nashville. And, and boy, that town turned out. It was, you know, it was easy because Louisville was three hours away and we had a great following. But the, the, that town, that NCAA tournament, that launched our road to the Final Four. The city of Nashville was incredible. That week was big time. Oh, yes. Dash loves them some hoops, especially NCAA tournament week. You go downtown, it's all yeah. Kentucky blue and Vol orange. I mean, it's something yeah. to see downtown on Broadway for sure. Wow. That's great. I mean, I'm excited. And, and uh, you know, I know Lipscomb is a tremendous program. Uh, Coach Acuff was at Alabama Huntsville when I was at Bellarmine, and we played him my first two years here. And, I mean, I've got as much respect for Coach Acuff as anybody in the game, trust me. Yeah, my mom's a Lipscomb grad, and she loved Casey Alexander until he went over to Belmont. <laughs> I just laughed at her. <laughs> you can't have him on your show anymore. He went over to the, the, the Belmont. I said, Casey's my guy, Mama. I can't, I can't. It, it, it's, 
It's a heck of a – it's an underrated college basketball town. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, my mom still said me, me coach. I told Tim to say don't vote for Lipscomb. She's still mad about me about that. I said, look, I had to go where I, I had to go where I had to go for free. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, good choice. You know, it was either Lipscomb, Tennessee State, or here at Georgia State. And I, I said, I don't want to be here in Atlanta going to college. So I go up to Nashville, so I chose Nashville. I'm staying here, home here in Georgia State, here in Atlanta. So that that she said, we should go with the Lipscomb, son. I said, well, no, nah, I went to Tennessee State. You know, it was free. I went to pay to go to Lipscomb. <laughs> good for you. That's that's a good idea. That's a good that's good financial decision right there. <laughs> at 17 years old, coach. <laughs> 17. <laughs> like, I just chose it. My dad didn't care, but my mom did. My dad didn't care. He's like, everyone goes, someone's fine with me. But mom was like, oh, Lipscomb. I went, I'm a Lipscomb. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Lipscomb. I said, oh, nah, they're not paying for my education. I'm going to Tennessee State. They're paying for it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we say I bounce about that coach all the time. Lipscomb's, my mom to this day still gets, gets on me about that all the time, coach. All the time. I hear it at least twice, 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 twice a week. Yeah, talk. Yeah, you still, you still, still just shun me, son. You shun me. <laughs> So. I married my wife. My wife graduated from the University of Kentucky, and you know, and then I'm coaching at Louisville. And people said, "Well, how'd that go?" I said, "Well, she got her master's from U of L, so she she finally wised up." You know, that's yeah, right. okay. Get out there, right, well, Coach Davenport. Thank you for your time this morning. It was fun to talk to you. We got to do this again real soon. I really enjoyed our talk today, Coach. I really did. Boss, whatever I can do to help you out, partner, you let me know. Grab a hold of big breakfast flavor at Hardee's. Try two breakfast sliders for just $2.99. Get Applewood smoked bacon or freshly grilled sausage with fluffy eggs and golden melty cheese all on a toasty little bun. Good morning, start at Hardee's. Available now for a limited time at participating restaurants. Tax not included. All right, folks, back in the Boss Man Show here with Coach Penny Hardaway, the Memphis Tigers out of AAC. Coach Hardaway, how life treating you guys over in the city of Memphis in 901, man? You know, you know, with everything going on, we can say we're still blessed, man. There's been a lot of people that have, um, that have been affected by the COVID. Uh, I haven't had anyone in my family that's been affected, but just understand that there have been friends that have been affected and to understand all of that and still have your health, still be able to um, get up and come to the gym and still have basketball practice, man, is a blessing. Now, it's about the March, Coach Hardaway. Um, March 11th, when everything's kind of got shut down, the NBA, NCAA-wise, your team was, you know, probably in the AAC tournament there, getting ready for that, then having to go home from that to go on school online virtually, then having to be – so in their own environment. So how would you handle that with your team and your staff and your players from going from being in a tournament mode to just being like, wow, we're back home trying to get stuff done here and be safe? Yeah, it was really uh, a crazy moment for me because instantly I understood the magnitude of what had just happened. By us, uh, by us having our conference tournament ending, you don't have a conference tournament, then there's not going to be an NCAA tournament. There was no way they could still have an NCAA tournament. So I started thinking about all of the guys that were going to be one and done start thinking about all the seniors around the country, start thinking about high school, like this is going to affect high school to the point where they probably won't have the rest of their season, prom, graduation. Started thinking about that type of a magnitude, and, man, it just started to be a little sad um, that it, it was happening like that. And then for us as a team, not to be able to go in and prove ourselves in our conference tournament to try to get our first bid into the NCAA tournament since I've been the coach. Uh, so it was just – it was a somber moment, man. It just was – it wasn't good on any level. Academically, Coach, going from in-person to virtual, how is that for your young men? Your academic advisors probably played a big role in your coaches as well, helping your young men assimilate to going from in-person and having study halls with you guys to being home with their parents to kind of get their work done via the blackboard systems. You kind of keep them accountable that way. 
Yeah, I think that uh, obviously in person is way better than, than virtually. Even though you can, you can still learn, the distractions are way different. But it, it has to happen. And uh, that's what's going on around our country. And our guys are handling it very well. Um, and uh, it's, it's what we have to do. You know, being in this pandemic and COVID hitting our, our nation as hard as it has, you know, we have to do everything virtually. You have to adapt and, uh, and move forward. And that's what we're doing. Most definitely, Coach. And also, Coach, using the, the Zoom this summer to help your young men navigate life, what's happening in front of them. So how was that, trying to get, get speakers on, on your Zoom, talking to them about life and keeping their minds sharp and fresh? Because, you know, when somebody said idle minds, there was workshops. So have them to themselves and not understand what's going on. How did you yourself help your young men navigate this whole 2020 we had so far? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, with, with having the Zoom calls and trying to get the guys together two or three times a week just to try to see what their mental was like, trying to see how they were continuing to, um, to condition uh, what they were doing before when school was out, what was their mind doing when, when things were idle, you know, and, and what were you doing? Are you on your phone? Are you going out? Are you being safe? Um, you know, are you still trying to play ball? Are you going, are you trying to attend parties? You know, it's basically just kind of giving some advice from in a lot of areas to the guys and they responded really well. Most definitely, Coach, and speaking of their health-wise, uh, trying to keep the young men in semi-shape, how much do you kind of stress to the young men to work out on their own, just running if you can, do what you can at home, because you know lots of closed gyms and stuff that are closed. How do you kind of navigate with different players, different circumstances, having to say, hey, do you do this here? And you kind of give them guys individual plans to keep them kind of semi-shape before they get back to you on campus there. Well, that's the beauty of having a strength and conditioning coach, because he did get with all of the players and kind of give them a plan of what they can do in-house. But we all know you can only be in shape so well being at home unless you have an indoor gym. But uh, our strength coach did a phenomenal job on uh, trying to get their intake of what they ate, uh, what they were eating all the time, and also the exercises that they could do at home. Most definitely, because, you know, Coach, getting them back in shape at the home campus now, you know, soft, you know, you know, being in the NBA, you get a nagging hamstring or ankle or knee, some soft tissue injury, it could be there with you all year long. So how have been, been the ramp up for your guys so they don't, you know, have those injuries that they nag them from now until the March, unfortunately? Well, you know, that's, that's, you're more susceptible to injuries when you're just sitting around all the time. And I think that you're seeing that in sports itself, professional sports, a lot of guys having little knick-knack injuries, some season in the injuries because of just sitting around and not, not being mobile and not being active. Uh, and then you go right to, to hard activity and, and having to practice and play hard right away. Uh, what we did was just talked about the flexibility of just trying to stay as limber as you could to try to try to just kind of stretch a lot. And because when you had to come back into what we call training camp, that it was going to be more running on you that you've had in a couple months. So just to be smart about that, you know, that's, that's much as you can do because injuries are going to happen. That's just a part of the game. And for you, Coach, you had a team last year full of freshmen and sophomores. They're there sophomores and juniors. So ha having your team a year more space in your system, how do you feel about your young men, how they came back so far to you, teach them X and O, wise your system so they can be good? Because I think you guys will be very good this year. I really believe that in my heart. So seeing your young men grow a year old, how's that been for you guys? Yeah, no, it's been a great tra transition. Uh, obviously, freshmen come in, they're wide-eyed. They don't know a lot. Uh, they're trying to just go off the, off of, you know, just adrenaline. They don't, the, the, the mental side hadn't really kicked in yet. And then going into their sophomore years, now you don't have to teach the same stuff. Now you can move past some stuff to get them better in other areas. And it's always great, man. Experience is always the best teacher. So the mistakes that they made last year, you know, they won't make those same mistakes this year. And they'll move forward from that, man. So it's been much better having 
having this group be older and understand some of the things that they didn't know last year and be better moving forward. The video your team coach called away last year, you guys played fast. They made some mistakes, but you let them play through it and play fast. Now, doing it again this year, they'll be able to play fast without making as many mistakes. So talk about that, Coach, that, you know, letting your young men kind of try by fire there, play fast last year, still defend kind of well as you did, but still playing fast. So talk about that and what you're going to do this year, keep playing it faster this year going forward. Yeah, our, my philosophy from day one has always been the fastest. want to be the fastest team on offense and the best team on defense. And that's hard to do because most great defensive teams around the country, they play at a slow pace. They try to slow the tempo down. That's a part of their defense. But for me, uh, playing in the NBA, everything is fast pace. And uh, we want to have the number one pace in, in, uh, in college. What that got us last year was a high turnover rate, which is what we don't want. We don't want. Playing fast sometimes does that. But I'm a player's coach. I want guys to play with freedom and not be robots. So I want them to play fast. And we just make up for it on the defensive end whenever we make those mistakes. And I want to be that team every year, the fastest on the offensive end and the stingiest on the defensive end. Defensively, Coach, I know that's your side of the bar. They want to, you know what I mean? They buy in that side of the court. So they can play fast and be lenient on offense. They can take the shots they want to, get in transition. So talk about your young men competing defensively. And your NBA knowledge to know how the defenses work and those drop coverages you can play, the zones, the help off the corners you can do. Because you play in the league with the best defensive teams in the world. So how's that been for your young men to come all the schemes that you know and be exposed to? Well, we have to, I have to give them a lot of credit because most of these guys came in. They were the, the offensive player for their, for their team. They were the better offensive player. They really weren't pushed hard enough to play defense or asked to play defense. They kind of played at their own pace. And to come to this high major program and be asked to do a lot more than what they've had to do their entire career was challenging for them. But they all bought in, and we made them buy in together. You know, what, what, what came from that was us being the number one defensive field goal percentage, opponent field goal percentage defense in the country. And that's saying a lot with the youngest team in the country because the schemes that we use are mostly NBA schemes on how we try to scheme against guys. We don't have like a one set defense. We change it up and we scheme teams and uh, they helps us out tremendously. Most definitely. And I, and I, I noticed that last year when watching your team, I said, man, Coach Hardaway using stuff that I see the NBA all the time, you know, with the drive coverage, is no different. I've been off the gaps a slot. So I love that. And for your young man, I feel like Coach, it helps your young man wants to play the NBA. They have a head start because you're teaching them NBA, NBA defenses already. They get to the leagues like, okay, I know, I know what this is. I know what a stun is. I know how to maybe help off the corner a little bit not and get back to my guy. So I feel like you're helping the young men – it's so that they're not basketball-wise for the NBA level, who will those who want to go that, that route? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of our recruiting tools. That's why we recruit so well, and I thank God for that, because we can physically show on a Zoom call how our defense is played, and, that, and we can show an NBA defense the same way, and then we can show our offense and then show an NBA offense, because these kids want to go to the NBA, and they want to be prepared. So we can develop them, and we can teach them, and we can show them someone that plays their position or a similar type player in our system and how we do things. And, you know, that helps us out. That helps us recruit as well. Now, Coach, you know, we're in the vote season right now. So how do you approach your young men about the no voting and having the selections important to them as young men being simply engaged? How do you kind of approach to that to your young men's offseason as well? You know what's so amazing is social media is kind of like the teacher. These guys understand with all of the, the stuff that's going on with the NBA, with all of the things that are going on with the entertainers that they're really big fans of. Voting has been the main thing that everybody has been preaching. So we didn't have to go to them and go, hey, we have to vote. They wanted to vote. We got all of them registered to vote, and they all voted. They've all voted already. So I think that that's phenomenal. I think that's great because every vote counts. I think some people, they felt like that their one vote 
doesn't count, but it does because you have a voice. That's your voice. And the players already know that through the social media uh, challenges from all of their, entertain their favorite entertainers and favorite NBA players telling them to vote, us telling them to vote. Uh, everywhere you go, their favorite shows on TV, everybody's just talking about voting because we have to make a difference and have to make a change. Now, Coach, non-conference scheduling-wise, know you, you know, I know for you guys you can schedule whoever you want to, but how has it been scheduling games knowing two weeks are gone from November 10th and now the 25th? So how has that been trying to get the MTEs in, the classes you want to play, and get a schedule for getting an AAC play, which is going to be very tough because that conference at the bottom is hard every night? Well, as of right now, we do have our MTE still in, in effect. We're in November 25th in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and our first game is against Ohio State. Uh, which is uh, a big test for us right away, right out of the gate. Um, our, our conference is hard enough. We don't get enough credit for how hard our conference is. And, uh, you know, we have added two extra games, so we're going to start conference play earlier. But uh, to get back to the MTEs and the uh, non-conference, uh, we had to cancel Tennessee because there were, there were not going to be any fans uh, in that game at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, that hurt because, we you know, we wanted to play them, but it makes it's a better decision to play with fans. So hopefully next year fans will be involved and um you know other than that we're still trying to piece this thing together we still might have auburn in atlanta which will still be a big game for us and i think the georgia game was supposed to be at georgia we might have to cancel that one as well because the conferences are playing more games so you know it's a whirlwind but i'm just glad to just be competing this year at all now coach i was hoping the Hawks got the high draft piece and get maybe your man james wiseman talk about your man james wiseman his guys game will transfer to the nba level and who could probably use him up there in those top picks there yeah, James is uh, he's definitely ready. You know, when he left school, which was definitely one of the saddest moments of my career as a coach, uh, but I did understand, you know, wh why he left. And uh, to go down to Miami and to work his butt off, you see his body now, he's chiseled, he's much bigger, his ball handling, his shooting, his passing, everything is uh, on a guard level. He can help anybody in the draft. And I've spoken to, obviously, some teams in the top three picks and uh, just gave my spiel on how, how great of a player he's going to be. He's going to listen. He's going to be coached, be able to be coached. He's going to be a great teammate, and he's going to be one of the better players in the league uh, right away because he's hungry and he knows what he wants. So he's going to be successful. That's what I got for you, coaches. I want to ask you about a friend of Rodney's and mine, Randy Peel, a great man, uh, one of my mentors. Tell us about Coach Peel and the relationship with Coach Peel and what he's meant to you guys and, and your staff and you as a person, as, 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 as a man and a coach. Coach Hardaway? Yeah, Coach Peel is, is a vet. He's an OG. He understands the game. <laughs> He understands the game at a high level, man. He's just looking for an opportunity to get to that. He's really a head coach that's being a, a great assistant coach or associate head coach to people because his defensive knowledge and his knowledge of the game, just our conversations that we've had, so knowledgeable, man, about how to understand the flow of a game, how he would, how people think to put them in, put teams in certain situations. So, yeah, Coach Bill is definitely one of the legends of the game for sure. That's my guy, Coach Hardaway. He's my mentor. I mean, he's like my right-hand man. That's my dude. <laughs> Coach Hamilton is the same thing, man. That's my guy, man. <laughs> yeah, Coach Hill is a legend, man. That's, he's a legend. Hey, Coach Hardaway, thank you for your time, man. Hope you see you in Atlanta, man. Hope you can make it over here. Man. I can see you guys play uh, all, but I'll be wearing my blue for you guys for sure. Because that's what I roll with. Because <laughs> Rodney, Rodney, Rodney's my guy. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Anytime. Let's pin hard on the Boston Show, people. Thank you so much, Coach. All right, take care. All right. How do you feel about your office? Is it just a space for your company, or is it a space to help you grow your company? From new HQs to satellite offices, with WeWork, you can find a space that works for you. Visit we.co slash space matters to learn more. 
All right, back in the boss match with RJ Ochoa here, blogging the boys, covering the Dallas Cowboys. RJ, man, how you doing? I'm doing well, my man. It's good to be with you. Hope all is as well as can be in your neck of the woods. Uh, hope uh, the fall is ready for you, or you're ready for the fall, I should say. Hope you're ready for the time to change. Um, just doing everything I can to distract myself from uh, from the Cowboys because it's been that kind of season. Hey, man, I understand, man, but you know. The Cowboys added to our misery in Atlanta, man. So let's talk about that game first. And the Falcons are playing the Cowboys at ATC Stadium. We're beating the Cowboys badly. The Falcons were. And all of a sudden, as Falcons do, <laughs> we choked the game. What are your thoughts watching that game when the Cowboys played the Falcons, man, and the Falcons lost the game on that, uh, that kick by Zerline, the Harmony kick there? Um, well, um, at the time, the Cowboys were 0-1, just like the Falcons were. And uh, every year, people talk about the teams that start off seasons 0-2. So I was already kind of, you know, um, getting ready to, to sort of hit that angle, how the Cowboys are going to be 0-2 and, and how disappointing it was going to be, uh, which was uh, going to be very interesting, to say the least. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, p people say uh, – people like to say now when it comes to the Cowboys um, – you know, they're two and five, right, as we sit here today. Um, how, how they would have one less win if not for a crazy onside kick. And um, the onside kick obviously stole all the headlines from that game. But um, Julio dropped, I mean, the easiest touchdown I think he's ever going to have off that Russell Gage pass. Um, and so, I mean, if that happens, the, the whole onside kick and everything is, is never a factor. Um, it was, it was obviously crazy. It, it was, it was, I feel I, I was at, I've been to one Super Bowl in my life. I, I was at Super Bowl 51. Um, and so I, I mean, I obviously just kind of have a soft spot for the Falcons and, um, it's tough. Uh, I think Falcons fans are the only thing that Cowboys fans don't envy right now. I was there too, RJ, man. Uh, just say that flight back to Atlanta was not fun for me. I was there <laughs> in all my Falcons glory. <laughs> It just without a, a fun fight back to the ATL after, after that, that, that that meltdown we had, man, in Houston. Sad day for, for us all in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, uh, my dad and I, you know, that year, because um, obviously we live in Texas, we had said, you know, because the Super Bowl was in Houston, we'd said, you know, re regardless who who's in the Super Bowl this year, uh, we want to go, you know, we want to experience the Super Bowl, you know what I mean? Like, you never know how many you're going to get to go in your life or whatever. Um, and that was Dak and Zeke's rookie year when the Cowboys were the one seed. And so for a long time, we were thinking, man, we're, we're going to luck out, you know, and, and the Cowboys are going to go and it's going to be awesome and everything. Um, and so we went and we just said, you know, let's, let's just hope for a great game. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what we really wanted more than anything. And to see the first one that went to overtime uh, was really cool and really fun. But, uh, but I'm, you know, certainly not for you, my bad. Now, RJ, let me ask you this, man. You know, the Cowboys roster, I, I see what they've done with Don Terry Poe now, Everson Griffin, Darrell Worley. And those are the guys that Stephen and Jerry Jones signed on kind of cheap for agency there. Um, I feel like those misses are hurting them defensively. Plus, I feel like that Mike Nolan's defense is not geared to the personnel. This is more of a Rob Merrill, Ninelli, Pete Carroll, Chris Richard, Robert Sala cover three team defensively, who they have players wise. And what Mike Nolan's do with the three, four looks, and it's not who the Cowboys' personnel is right now. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, Rod Marinelli uh, is the Cowboys' most recent defensive coordinator to Mike Nolan. And uh, Chris Richard was, was kind of a, a pseudo-defensive coordinator, didn't have the title, but, but had a lot of the work and a lot of the responsibility. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's hard to do anything, uh, obviously, in 2020, uh, as we're all well aware. And the Cowboys tried to change a lot. And it's, it's hard to do that over Zoom. It's hard to do that over Squadcast or Skype or whatever you're talking over FaceTime. And so I think it was a big challenge that they tried to undertake, which, which is part of the problem. Um, I, I think part of the problem is the talent that they brought in. You mentioned Daryl Worley and Dontari Poe, not exactly players that, that they hit on right away. The Cowboys also brought in HaHa Clinton Dix, who didn't even make the 53-man roster when it was set after training camp. Their biggest free agent signing was uh, Joe McCoy, who got hurt during the first practice and ultimately was cut for some you know, contractual financial reasons. Uh, it remains to be seen whether he'll return to the team next season. The Cowboys also signed Everson Griffin during training camp and obviously traded them away this week. And so I, I think, you know, a, a lot of it, it when, when you're two and five and, and everything's on fire, all of the problems are really visible, right? And so um, I, I think that that's part of the story. Um, but, but yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, the reality that, that's taken the Cowboys a little bit of time to accept is that what they had was, was not that great. I think they've, they've got a, a great piece in Demarcus Lawrence, who certainly, you know, it, it would be awesome if he played better. Um, Leighton Vander Esch has battled injuries for a long time, and, and it's hard to count on that. Jalen Smith, as incredible of a story as he is, is one of the worst linebackers in the NFL. And so the Cowboys are uh, paying the price for a lot of decisions they made both, you know, a couple of months ago and a couple of years ago. And um, it, it's sort of a perfect storm in this moment that it all collapsed, you know, right uh, all at the same time. You think that Tank Lawrence is, is in trouble, RJ, because I feel like he's, his contract is kind of how, how good – he has a, kind of a bad contract right now. So, do they look with his cap being lower next year, maybe moving Tank Lawrence maybe because uh, he's not performing up to that level of $100 million that they, they paid him? No, I think that Tank is safe. Um, I think he's the best player on the Cowboys defense. And would it be awesome if he had more sacks? Certainly. Um, but, but I think, you know, I, I think if, if you're going to choose a piece to build around defensively, it's without question to Marcus Lawrence. And so, um, I, I think that, you know, other moves are certainly possible, but, but I, I would be shocked if, if they, you know, for whatever reason, wanted to move on from DeMarcus. Now, what I've noticed RJ is this, Dak Prescott, he should get paid anything he wants right now, RJ, because he covered up so much mess. Reminds me of Tony Romo when he was the eight and eight Cowboys all those years. He covered up so much as wrong with the Cowboys defensively on the offensive holes. Romo covered it up for the Cowboys. It's like Dak doing the same thing for you, the Cowboys now. And with him being gone, how just the bottom dropped out is like wow. You know, Dak is hurt the way he is. He's really showing his worth not being there right now. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Um, it's it's really ironic that, you know, there are a lot of Cowboys fans that, that learned how to appreciate Tony Romo in a really painful way, right? Um, and, and it's ironic that those same people don't appreciate Dak Prescott. And, um, you know, you can go back and forth and, and you can say the Cowboys offered him this. And, um, you know, Dak and, and Dak's team understood the, the situation. And, um, I don't think anybody can or should or would blame them for, for going about it the way that they did. He bet on himself, and, and I think he's hit on those bets. And it's, it's weird to, to talk about who wins the bet with him being hurt. Um, but, you know, two games into life without Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are a disaster. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, every week it, it feels like Dak's value is, is raised and is elevated. 
Um, you mentioned that I agree. He certainly co- covers up a lot. And, you know, does Dak ever won a Super Bowl? No. But, I mean, you know, that, that's something that, that people focus on on, on a superficial level. Um, but, but he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. And, and I think more than covering up things on the field, uh, you know, it was the first game without him that the Cowboys got blasted by the Cardinals that the anonymous report about discontent in the locker room comes up. I mean, Dak, Dak's their leader. And, and that sounds – you know, that sounds like Varsity Blues or Friday Night Lights or, or whatever sort of cliche you want to call it. But, but Dak is, is without question the unilateral leader of the Dallas Cowboys. They follow him uh, in a number of ways, which is kind of how he got the job besides playing well. He just is that guy. And, um, and I think that there are a lot of quarterbacks that are kind of underappreciated by their, their own fan base or their own team. I, I would certainly put Matt Ryan in that category as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it will be very interesting to see how the Cowboys navigate paying Dak Prescott, uh, with a salary cap that might stay the same. Uh, who knows how social distancing still works in 2021. I mean, um, it does feel like we're in store for, for a really annoying off season as far as that storyline is concerned. And Dak is very positive too, RJ. It's nothing that we realize he's very positive. So his positive vibes help uplift guys who are maybe, prone to mope and get down on themselves or get angry, angry by not playing, that's positivity brings them light and joy. So I feel like they're missing that factor as well. Yeah. And, you know, Dak is um, uh, anybody that, that has followed his NFL career. I think, you know, there are guys around the NFL that are really easy to, to watch and to root for. Um, as, a, as a non-Cowboys example, I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan. I've been, been a huge Russell Wilson fan from the moment he stepped in the NFL. Just you, you have everything about him, his whole Go Hawks thing. I know he's kind of corporate, but, but um, a really great guy and a really great face for the NFL. And, and I think that Dak is, is kind of the same way. Um, and I think anybody that followed him in college and, and certainly knows his story with, with his late mother, um, he's an easy guy to root for. And um, I think Dak went on on a limb a few months ago and was really vulnerable in talking about his mental health. And obviously that um, turned into a story for some unfortunate reasons um, about, about six weeks ago or so. Um, and it was really heartwarming to see how the world, sports world and the world beyond that reacted to that, uh, specifically Hayden Hurst, uh, another you know Falcon, um, the way he chased down Dak after that game ended. And so I think that, you know, um, I heard Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football after Dak got hurt. Um, he talked about how being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys is kind of like being the prince of the NFL. And, you know, I certainly – I know the Cowboys um, get a lot of attention, uh, but, but it is different, obviously. I mean, you know, it's, it's different being Dak Prescott than it is. Uh, with no disrespect intended, than, than it is being Gardner Minshew or whatever. And you, you are the face. Everybody knows who you are. And yes. I thought Tony Romo had a great point on, on that call where he said injuries like that ripple across the NFL. And so I do feel that, that Dak's personality is really highlighted in who he is. And I think it's really infectious. And I think a lot of people go to bat for him as a result of it, which kind of speaks to why the locker room loves him the way that they do. And R.J. Ezekiel Elliott, I feel like since he's gotten paid, he's just pretty much melted in, man. I don't know what's going on with Zeke. I mean, he does the feed me thing after the first downs, but my man, when you feed you, you fumbling, putting the ball on the ground, you're dropping the church's money, my man. So what, so what covers in the way you do, man? What's been up with Zeke since he got, since he got paid last year, man? Um, I mean, kind of like Demarcus Lawrence, when you get paid – people expect you to, to break records every week, right? Like that's just kind of the way it goes. And 
Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, people that, that are against paying running backs just because of, of the idea of, of allocating resources to that position. And, and I certainly understand the logic behind that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's been tough. And I, I would, the, if, if I was looking to defend Zeke, at least in the here and now, I would say that, you know, the Cowboys have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL in, in its present form and its present state. Um, Connor Williams was the worst offensive lineman on the Cowboys last year, and he's the only guy left. Uh, Tyron Smith's out for the season. Lyle Collins is out for the season. Zach Martin missed last week against Washington. Um, you know, Travis Frederick, when, when Mike McCarthy signed up to be the Cowboys head coach, Travis Frederick was the team's starting center. He would go on to retire, and Joe Looney, who, uh, who started in place of him when he missed all of 2018 battling the autoimmune disorder that he did, he's been hurt. And so the Cowboys are starting a rookie who they're very high on, um, at center, but I mean that you know. So I, I mean, I, I know nobody wants to hear that, but Zeke's offensive line is terrible. His his quarterback is is not one of the more elite ones in the NFL anymore, and um, and the Cowboys are falling behind very early every single week, and so it makes running the ball a very difficult proposition. And I know that you know excuses are excuses, but but there's there's a little bit more that meets the eye to just you know Zeke's not you know getting 150 yards every week is all I'm saying. No, no, you're right. And I feel like fans can understand it. There's more to it than just, hey, Zeke, get yards, or Julio, get yards, Tiger, get yards, because it's about scheme, matchup, circumstances, things that that the normal fan would not understand and see. Like, if you're stacking the box with nine men in the box saying, hey, Dalton or Danucci or Cooper Rush beat me, he's not going (laughs) to beat you. Because you, or you now, you or you can like say so. It's like, hey, look at the defense. But Archer, you're not one of those fans. Don't understand the way we do about the game. They just want to see the team win and get and get their fancy team to win, get all the points. But you know, look at the schemes, matchups, and the things that go around different plays where you can determine. Hey, this guy stinks or he doesn't stink. You know. Yeah, I think that that's well said, and I think that that idea is why Jason Garrett's no longer the Cowboys head coach. Um, you know, one one of one of the worst moments for Jason Garrett actually came in Atlanta um, now almost uh, almost three years ago to the day. It was November 12th, 2017, uh, when the Cowboys played, I believe, for the first time in Mercedes-Benz yes, Stadium. Yes, it was an afternoon and, game. Uh, it, it rained that day. It was cold and rainy that day, I remember. <laughs> Outside, yeah, it was cold uh, and rainy. It was, it, was cold, it was cold and rainy outside, and it was cold and rainy as far as Dak Prescott was concerned because Tyron Smith missed that game as well. And Chaz Green started in his absence. And, you know, the, the Cowboys have for so long operated under this mindset of, well, Tyron's out. So you, you've got to go be Tyron Smith. And it doesn't work that way. You know, um, you, you've got to do different things. You've got you've to give help. You have to adjust. And that's something the Cowboys have just been so bad at. And I, I think it's something they would be better at, honestly, in, in 2020, if they weren't just so decimated from an injury standpoint. I mean, the Cowboys have lost a number of players um, and obviously really important ones like Dak Prescott. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough sledding for the Cowboys here in 2020. But they're they're certainly in contention in the NFC East, which which makes everything all the more comical. And what's comical, RJ, is, that, of course, at a Falcons home game, was more Cowboy fans there in 17 and 18 than it was than Falcon fans. <laughs> so like Matt Rowans was on a silent count at home with the Cowboys in town, so, which is awful. It happens all the time, RJ. This is, it's common practice for Matt Ryan's silent counts at home because of the Falcons fans. I remember the Falcons fans there in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no question that Cowboys fans travel well. And, and I think that that, that effect happens. 
um, when when teams have really new stadiums. I my dad and I went to uh, the Cowboys Falcons game there in 2018, the one that the Cowboys won on a last second field goal. Um, and and we picked that that game because you know my dad and I would do a, a road Cowboys game every year. It's kind of our thing. And uh, in 2018, we said, well, the Falcons have a new stadium, you know, and I think a lot of people do. I think they say, oh, I, I want to go see that place or whatever. And so um, while it's certainly a nice home field advantage in a lot of ways, um, it, it can invite a lot of attention in a negative sense like that. And I think that that's what happens. But but it is a fabulous building. I would honestly say, um, you know, I've, I've had the fortune of being at AT&T Stadium a bunch of times. And, and I'm more impressed with Mercedes-Benz Stadium than I am AT&T Stadium, honestly. And it was sunny that day in 18, and the roof was open. I remember that day. It was in the 70s that day. I remember that day was in the 70s. It was a warm day in November. I remember that. <laughs> it's like a good day, man. It's a good day, man. Let me ask for the last one I got for RJ is this, man, the Cowboys this year. I'm looking at it trying to be nice. I'm saying 4 and 12. What, what are your thoughts, man? <laughs> I'm just being honest about it. Look at the schedule. Um. So uh, so we do weekly picks, obviously, every week, right? And, and I, I've honestly picked the Cowboys every week, except for when they went to play the Seattle Seahawks. I, I took Seattle and obviously hit on that. Um, and I picked the Cowboys because it made sense to, I thought. Uh, I thought that they would beat the Rams. They obviously didn't. I thought that they would, they would beat the Falcons, and, and they got lucky and did. I thought they would beat the Browns, and, and then they failed. And, um, you know, the, the two games the Cowboys have played without Dak Prescott, um, on Monday Night Football, played against the Arizona Cardinals. And I, I really thought that there would be this rally around, you know, Dak, rally around Andy Dalton. I, I, I thought the team had a little bit more backbone to them than, than they clearly do. And, and so I, I was foolish in that regard. And last week, I, I really thought I, I, this, this is a really bad Washington team. Um, you know, I, I think the Cowboys are, are really bad, but, but not as bad as them and, and clearly wrong again. And so it's, it's hard to imagine – Honestly, the Cowboys winning another game, and I know that sounds dramatic. I know it sounds like a joke, uh, but but they are, you know, they're they're broken in a lot of ways. They're they're broken as a as an actual football team playing every week. Um, but but I think they're they're broken in spirit and, and they're broken in will, which is you know again not not to get all cliche and varsity blues or whatever, but um, this is a team that really has no backbone and no fight. And and I think that that was really seen by the world last week when Andy Dalton went down. And not a single Cowboys player challenged John Bostic as a result of it. And so I, I don't I don't think that there's a switch that this team can can flip. I think this is a group of players that has shown before that when they check out, they're done. And, and I think that they've quit on this season. I think maybe they get lucky. Maybe they beat New York, you know, when they play them again, just because the Giants are such a mess. Um, maybe maybe next time they play Washington, you know, that they somehow get lucky. They get to play Minnesota, who, who are certainly a bad team. Uh, and that's coming off their bye, but um, it, 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 it get to play Cincinnati. I mean, but even that, you know, Joe Burrow, I think, has has that team believing more uh, than, than any Cowboys player believes right now. And so, um, I I mean, four and twelve, honestly, uh, again, not to to be silly, but it does that feels optimistic at this point. And and I think if you asked any average Cowboys fan, they wouldn't want to go four and twelve. I, I think that most Cowboys fans, especially you know, when you lose your quarterback for the season. Um, it's hard not to check out as a fan, right? It, it's hard to, to get to get hyped. And so I think every Cowboys fan is willing to just say, hey, it, it wasn't it. You know, this wasn't it. And and let's let's focus on 2021. Let's, let's get a top three draft pick. Let's let's figure that out. Let's let's build around that idea. And let's hit the reset button because, um, you know, this 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 is a nightmare from hell. And uh, we want it to end as soon as possible. I tweeted the other day. 
uh, when the Dodgers won the World Series that the last time the Dodgers won the World Series uh, obviously was in 1988. The 1988 Cowboys finished worse in the NFL and had the number one overall pick the following year. So hopefully that holds true again here in 2020. I was going with uh, Washington on Thanksgiving. I was going to go with the Giants. Those are the two games I was giving the Cowboys being nice. <laughs> you kind of read my mind. Those are the games I kind of looked at. Those are probably the ones they'll win because I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll want to beat the, 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 the Clapper, the, the Garrett. They want to beat him again. But I would say RJ this, that it shows that he wasn't the only problem. It wasn't just him. <laughs> it was more than two of it than Gary Clapping. It was talent-wise picked by the Jones family and Will Will McClay, not so much Garrett. And so Mike McCarthy, I don't know how you feel about this, that they go too, too bad with Jerry Jones maybe say, hey, reboot all together and get him out of there too. I know he, ain't, I know he hates to pay people, but I'm thinking uh, if it's too, too bad, he may get rid of McCarthy and his staff as well. I don't think so, honestly. Um, I have a lot of respect for Jason Garrett, but you're right. I think he, he was a problem. I don't think he was the problem. I think that a lot of Cowboys fans thought, oh, he was the only problem, and that's just not the case. Um, you know, um, as, as you've seen, you know, there have been a lot of headlines this week, just this week, uh, from the Joneses, right? Uh, last Friday, Jerry Jones challenged the anonymous report about discontent in the locker room. Uh, two days ago, you and I were talking on Thursday. On Tuesday, uh, Jerry Jones told what the 105 to the fan host, the radio station he appears on, to shut up and let him answer. Um, you know, uh, on, on Wednesday night, it was reported uh, by ESPN with exact quotes from Jerry Jones that the Cowboys cut Don Terry Poe because he was 30 pounds overweight. And so that's, you know, that's the bigger problem, right, is, is that we've got, like, multiple headlines this week that have nothing to do with Mike McCarthy. And um, wh while I certainly acknowledge that Mike McCarthy hasn't been flawless, hasn't been perfect, th there, are, there are two things that Mike McCarthy has done this season that I'm a huge fan of. And one was, was when he chose to go for two against the Atlanta Falcons, uh, which was debated a lot by a lot of people. Uh, but, but he hyped himself up as, as an analytically minded person. And that was an analytically sound decision in my mind. Um, so I support that. And I also support Mike McCarthy calling out the Cowboys for not defending Andy Dalton because that is a major difference between he and Jason Garrett. You know, Mike McCarthy is, um, he's from the Pittsburgh area. He's a blue collar guy, you know, uh, wants to get his hands dirty, wants to do a lot of work. Uh, and, and that's not the culture that the Cowboys have had. The Cowboys are kind of a country club organization. Um, and so I think there's a, a battle of cultures, which is difficult for him to overcome. I also think the uniqueness of this year and, and not being able to properly implement what he wanted to do um, and, and the number of injuries. I, I think it's, it's very easy to understand how, how Mike McCarthy's plan could not be working right away. And so I'm certainly willing to give him a little bit more time because of, of all the problems that exist with the Cowboys, he's new. And um, I'd like to see what, what he can do given some more time. RJ, tell all this was about uh, your website that you work for, Expedition, the boys' website you have. Tell them about blah, 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 the boys and how they can follow you and your staff and your writers, man, what you all got going, coming up for them. Anyway, for the Cowboy fans here in Atlanta, who I know there are a bunch of them here. So tell them about blogging the boys' Expedition, man. Sure. Um, I, uh, I work for SB Nation. I run our Dallas Cowboys website, bloggingtheboys.com, so you can check us out there. Uh, we, we create content in, in a number of ways, obviously on the website, uh, we're on social media, on Twitter at Blogging the Boys, Instagram, blogging dot 
the dot the boys uh you can like our facebook page you can subscribe to our youtube channel we have a podcast network ourselves we have multiple shows that go out every single day uh because we know there's a lot going on in the world of the dallas cowboys one of our managing editors david halperin actually lives in the atlanta area so um you know it's it's a near and dear place uh in the blog of the boys heart um i'm on twitter and instagram at rj ochoa uh, and so, um, you know, th these are tough times uh, for the Cowboys, but, uh, but I can promise you this, I, I can guarantee you this, that, that as bad as the Cowboys might be, they will always be incredibly interesting, which is what we sort of exist for. I mean, this, this past week, their defensive coordinator, who uh, a lot of people are displeased with, uh, got Tabasco in his eyes. Yes. And so, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that seems to only happen to the Dallas Cowboys. And so whatever happens, we'll have you covered at Blogging the Boys. As my daddy says, as the Cowboys turn, RJ. So he says, so far, as the Cowboys turn, always. For sure, my man. Well, RJ, thank you for your time today, man. Stay safe. We'll talk, talk to you real soon. Hopefully, it's up coming to Atlanta, man. Hope to see you in person, man, once this pandemic stuff dies down, my brother. Sounds good, man. Hope Penny Hardaway was awesome. And uh, if, if I'm the second coolest guy you had on today, I'll, I'll take that as a high honor. Hey, you are, man. You are. It was Penny Hardaway, didn't you, brother? You running back up to Penny Hardaway, man. So I'm it's cool all with good. that. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, all right buddy. Have a good rest of your week. You too. Be good, buddy. Thank you, man. You too. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.